Welcome back to It Is One Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Bailey. And Bailey, before we start today, I just want to talk to you about a little story. Okay, what little story do you have for us today, Taylor? It's a little story about someone who said, give me the keys. Give you the keys? Yeah, this guy comes up to me and he's like, give me the keys. And you're like, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, and I was like, what did you say? He's like, give me the keys. Is that English or gibberish, bud? No, it's... it. Give me the keys. You have like a bunch of peanut butter in your mouth or something, bud? The, no, you know what I'm saying. I, I'm speaking plain English. Are you? Yeah, give me the keys. Okay, I think my brain translated it to, give me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. Thank you. I don't think you should say that. That's not a very nice thing to call somebody. I know. That's what I said when he called me that. Okay. So were you like getting mugged? No, you just wanted the keys. Okay. Yeah, I was like, I don't really understand what you're saying, but okay. Looked at him, I was like, the fuck are you saying, dude? Did you give him the keys? Hell no, I didn't. He threatened to shoot me, but that's not that's not the point. It was scary. I was very scared. That sounds scary. I would have been scared. Yeah, this is why I don't go to North Tulsa. Was it in North Tulsa? It was in North Tulsa. It was a scary time. But that reminded me of the movie that we're doing today. What movie are we doing today? The Usual Suspects. Oh, shit. I don't know why I did that. I'm I'm sorry. No, you're okay. We're making our own sound effects with our mouth. Mouth effects, if you will. Yeah, we don't have to do that while editing. Yeah. So whenever you edit this, you can just be like, oh, I don't need to throw in music. I'm still going to throw in music. But The Usual Suspects is a 1995 movie starring a bunch of people. Directed by Brian Singer. (laughs) And written by Christopher McQuarrie, or screenplay was by him. Like I said, starring a bunch of people such as Kevin Spacey, Gabriel Bryan, Chaz Palamenti, Stephen Baldwin, Benicio Del Toro, and Kevin Pollock. That is a star-studded cast. It is a star-studded cast. Like how you just interrupted me and you're like, now we're talking about the writer and the director first. Yeah. I was getting to that. Oh, I know you were. I just, ha- I just had to get that in there. Oh, you just had to like slide it in there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Slide it into the background when you weren't paying attention. Thank you for that. That was something that a usual suspect would do. So, because this is a lineup of five guys and we do a one to five rating, what are you giving it? I'm going to give this 3.5 criminals out of five. Three and a half criminals out of five. Yeah. Why are you giving it three and a half criminals out of five? I think the story's pretty good. A lot of the scenes are fun. The characters are okay. I think Kevin Spacey did a really good job in parts and as verbal kint. Yeah. And less of a good job in others. There were points in time where to me his acting seemed very not as good as it normally is. Okay. Well this was nineteen ninety five. Yeah, no, totally totally fair. He did do a little bit better as John Doe in 19... Well, no, it wasn't 99. When did 7 come out? Or was that 95 as well? I don't know. I don't remember either. Someone fact check us on that one. Um, person who's not sitting there, fact check it real quick. Yeah. But, yeah, so part of my score being a little bit lower than you probably imagine it should be is I didn't think the acting was as good as I remember it being. Okay, that that is fair. And... The story, while pretty interesting, 
I felt was a lot more holy this time than previous times watching it. There were periods of time where I'm like, uh, uh, and that's not a feeling I've historically had. Just this overall viewing was less enjoyable than previous ones, but it's still a phenomenal movie. It's just not the previous like four, 4.5 that I would have given it had you asked me prior to this watching. And that's fair. That's why we do this. Absolutely. What about you? What would you give it? I'm giving it five criminals out of five. Oh, all five shit. of them. Oh, shit. I I love this movie. It's no secret that I love this movie. The first time I watched it, the second time. Like, I've seen this movie a bunch, and every time I watch it, I think that it's it's a fun movie. And then looking at it even more critically this time and basically overanalyzing everything has given me a better perspective on it as well. But I'm giving it five out of five criminals. Oh, my. And what do you think Roger Ebert gave it? On his scale, zero to four criminals. So I haven't actually seen his score, but I know earlier you said you were surprised at the score he gave it. It is a controversial one. Which leads me to believe that it's lower. So I would say he probably gave it a two out of four. So about halfway, 50%. He gave it one and a half criminals. Out of four? Yeah, he gave it like two thumbs down. Oh my. And I read his review because this is one of the times where I'm like, Roger Ebert, fuck you. And basically, to summarize it, he watched it at the Sundance Film Festival and couldn't follow it. So he thought, hear me out, he thought maybe he had seen too many movies that day. Maybe it was kind of whatever because everybody around him was ranting and raving. So he goes back, watches it a second time, and still thought the same thing. His whole issue with the movie is the plot. He thinks that the plot is dumb, that it is weak, and it the ending to the movie doesn't tie everything together like it should. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree. So you and him kind of have the same thing, but you thought it was a better movie? I mean, I think it's a good movie, but the plot, the plot isn't great. It, had you asked me prior to this watching, I would have said, oh, the plot's awesome, and then I would have explained it like, Actually, I'll wait. I'll wait until we're in the spoiler section for how I would have described this movie prior to this watching. I think you should because of the way this movie ends. Yeah. Yeah. And because of this movie and we've talked about it, like how we would describe it, what would you what would you give like a spoiler free synopsis over it? If I was to give a spoiler free synopsis of it, I would say that five criminals get together to do a job. Something goes wrong on the job and only one person survives. And he gets arrested, and it's the FBI and local police interrogating him, and it's the story of how he came to be there. And they want to know who's actually behind it and what caused all of this mayhem to occur because they think that it was a setup. I agree. I think that's the only way to describe this movie without Spoiling. spoiling it. But with that being said, do you want to jump into the spoilers? Yeah, dude. Roll that spoiler music. Okay. So if I was told to describe this movie with spoilers prior to this watching, I would have said that it's a masterpiece that shows an individual conjuring a story out of nowhere and fooling the police. And because of that, he was able to get away with it. And I would have said it ties up really really neatly. It all makes sense. It all is cohesive and coherent. 
but this time I kind of disagree. Okay. So you're on the Roger Ebert. I'm not Well not not to that extreme, but leaning more towards it than I thought you would. It's so, just kind of dumb. There are parts why? of this movie that are kind of dumb. Okay, so so why is it dumb? Because I really enjoy the plot. Because the way that I look at it is what the hell did I just watch? Because at the end of the movie, when you realize that everything is a lie, but not all of it is a lie, because what he has done is he has woven in actual details with things that didn't happen. And one of the things that is really, really cool to me is the character of um, Kent. Or no, because no, not can't. I can't think of the name. Um, Keaton, not can't. Okay. Because the way that he's described by the detective, I think it was like Cuyo, is a really sociopathic piece of shit dude who would never give up on for a woman, right? But the way that Kent describes him is he gave it all up for a woman. So now it's this which one is true because most of the stuff that Roger has said throughout this whole thing isn't correct at all. And that's how they knew Keaton because he was a corrupt cop. So did he actually do it? What's real? What's not real? I mean, that is the question. And that's what I like about it because it's how much of that story was true and then how much of it was bullshit. Where is that line drawn? What actually happened? I don't think you're intended to be able to determine what actually happened. And that's why I like it, because there is no definitive way to say this is the story that was put together. Which I can see how that would also throw people off and be like, this is kind of loose and stupid. And you just said it. I mean, that's basically it. Because what's real, what isn't real is an important question. But it's set up to where the whole time verbal is gaslighting the detective. Correct in turn gaslighting the audience and i think that because of the way that this is shot it's okay that that's happening the issue with me is it doesn't feel like it's tied up well enough at the end because a lot of the things that verbal is saying occurred clearly couldn't have happened that way even the detective saying well no that's not that's definitely not how it happened and the information he was getting, like Red Man or Redwood, 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 yeah, is that it? Um, yeah. the their contact in California, totally not real, like totally a made up dude, or was he? Well, so someone could have been filling that role, but, but the not name, him. the name he got was from the calendar or something behind him, and that's really cool that how at the end it showed like. Oh, the lawyer was the guy on the coffee mug. and Which, if you watch that, the first time that he ever takes a sip of his coffee is in front of him. So you can see that he got the bottom from that. That was the one thing that I liked. Yeah. And, I mean, no, the way, the way that he pulls the names and stuff is cool, and the way it's shot to where on your next viewing you can be like, oh, he did see it here, like, oh, he lifted the coffee mug, that's how he saw it. Or, oh, he was left in the room alone for an extended period of time where he could just sit there and read the backboard. Like, I get it. 
And I think that that's a really cool element. And I think the fact that the whole movie plays out where we're only loosely aware that that could be occurring, which it's not shot in a way like The Lodge is shot, where the twist is foreseeable super early on because they give you super apparent clues because the clues it gives you in this aren't super apparent to me. Even knowing how it ends, you still have to look for stuff like that, which I think is really cool, and that boosts the score. But the overall plot just is so shallow that it's not it's hard for me to give it beyond what it is, you know, or beyond what I've already given it. You know what I mean? So to go back to your point about how it was shot, one of the things that I do really, really enjoy about this movie is the way that it's shot because uh, Kaiser Sose is left-handed. Everything that he does is left-handed. But if you look at what Verbal's doing, if you watch closely the scene where um, Kuyan starts to attack him, he deflects it with his left hand because he's naturally dominant. So his gimp side, as it's referred to, which I know is offensive, but that's... That's the term they use. That's the term in the movie. It was 95. When he's when he deflects it slightly with his gimp hand is what happens. And you can start to see that when he's trying to light his lighter with his right hand and can't do it, it's because he's left hand dominant. And it's his weak hand, so naturally he wouldn't be able to. But then you're like, oh, he's got cerebral palsies. That's why he can't light it. So you you have these clues set in front of you, but you just don't pick up on it. You don't pick up on the way that he's doing things. Because even with, you can figure out who robbed the truck very early in the movie. And the way that you can do it is based off of the line um, that he gives where he's talking about how if you have five guys in a holding cell, whichever one did it is the one that's asleep. And if you look at them, Hockney's the one who is actually sleeping when everybody else is talking because he's just laying there. So it's very apparent that he did it. Yeah. And then it's also really interesting as to why it shows everybody else getting arrested, but it never shows Verbal getting arrested. How did he get there? And then the other thing was that I'll just mention because I'm going on this tangent is when the when the briefcase comes from Sose that has all of their information and stuff in there, the way that Keaton hands it out is the order that they all die. See, I didn't catch that. Yeah, because he gives it to uh, Benicio Del Toro, Finster first. Which, by the way, the reason I talked like that is because from what I've what I've read and understand, Benicio Del Toro wanted that role specifically because he understood that he was a throwaway character. The whole point of Finster was to get everybody else on board. To show them, hey, if you don't do this, we're going to hunt you down and kill you. And because of that, he goes, why does it matter what he says? So he purposely talks like that and makes it unintelligible because he's like, it doesn't matter what I say. I'm a throwaway character, but it makes him super memorable. And you're like, oh, yeah, Finster, which is why um, Kevin Pollock, when he goes, what the fuck did he just say? That was his genuine reaction because he did not understand what he was saying. So speaking of genuine reactions, you know when um, the cigarette is flicked? Yeah. So that was supposed to hit him in the chest. And when it hit him in the face, that was his actual reaction. Like, oh, what the fuck, dude? Because he missed it. Yeah. Well, in the lineup, apparently they had shot that all day. And it was meant to be taken seriously. But every single time that they shot it, everybody kept fucking it up because they couldn't keep a straight face. 
So the scene that you see that made it into the movie is finally when he was like, I give up whatever is the funniest shot, put it in there. I'm tired of this because nobody could keep a straight face. And they like, give me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. Which is like one of the most memorable parts of the whole movie. I think that's probably how the criminals would be anyway. Uh, yeah, I think so. Like McManus's character, everything that I know about him, right there. That is how he would do it, right? Which, speaking of his character, him and Hockney. PSA public service announcement, we fucked up. And by we, I mean me, because I was the last person that edited, so I will take full responsibility. What we record on is a device that uses an SD card, and sometimes that SD card gets filled with all of our episodes that we don't delete and pre-pods that you won't ever listen to unless you subscribe to our Patreon. Which doesn't exist yet. It currently does not. But because of that, we had to delete some stuff, and we did not realize that the audio recording had cut off. So we recorded about 40 minutes and only got 16 or 17 minutes of that. So we are re-recording this. So if it sounds a little bit differently, that is why. Back at it again. So McManus's character and Hockney's character don't like, e- like, don't like each other, right? And they don't like each other in real life either. So the stare down that you see when McManus is talking about how Redfoot is his contact in California and that I only go to see Redfoot, and he's looking at him and says, we're all going. What do you mean just you? And they're staring at each other intently. It's because they don't like each other. And that was due to uh, Stephen Baldwin bullying everybody as McManus to get into character, kind of like what, uh, who was it, Jared Leto did with the Joker, taking it a little too far. He did a little too much, and especially towards the end, even admitted that Kevin Pollock he had bullied a little too much. So, speaking of actors who get a little too into character and it makes people uncomfortable or upset, Christian Bale has done that. I would even say that Kevin Spacey's done it too. Oh, I'm sure he has, but uh, Christian Bale is another actor who I remember specific stories. I think it was Terminator Salvation. Or, oh, yeah. Okay. Where he was just like really into character and really like mean, I guess. I don't definitively know. I'd have to like look it up to know the specific details, but well, and McManus's character, you know, is kind of an asshole. Yeah. The first time that we see him, he's literally, "Don't you guys ever knock?" As they're all pointing their guns at him. Speaking of which, if you notice, because I know I mentioned where you can tell that um, Hackney is the one who it robbed the truck before it's given. You can also tell whenever they're doing their interrogations, because if you listen to every single person, he's the only one that says, and I quote, I'll have your badge, you cocksucker. So it it sets it up that he uses cocksucker frequently as like in regular dialogue. Yeah, it's just nobody else says anything when you're when they're doing the police interrogations. Everybody else says normal stuff. He's the only one that says cocksucker, which just so happened to be in the police lineup because that's what was said when the truck was robbed. So I thought that was a little interesting. No, that definitely checks out. It does a good job at foreshadowing. Yeah. And I think that's why I like the movie. No, I mean, the elements of foreshadowing are usually done really well. And I don't think that there's any issue with that. I don't think so either. One of the things that I thought was extremely funny that I read was Kevin Spacey had convinced every single person that they were Kaiser Sose. 
Really? Yeah. He knew he knew who it was because they set down the uh the writer and director. Who was it? Brian Singer and Oh, I'm sorry. Uh Brian Singer and Christopher it's it's a complicated last McQuarrie. name. Yeah. So Singer, McQuarrie, and Spacey all sat down before and decided that verbal was going to be Kaiser. And because of that he had he had tricked everybody else into thinking it. So some people were genuinely shocked when when it was revealed at the end when they were watching the movie and they're like, Oh, that makes sense. The only person obviously that wouldn't have known that was Benicio del Toro because he knew what his character was written for. That's fair. So my thing is this. If they all knew that Kevin Spacey knew who Kaiser Sose was, why would they assume that it wasn't him? They didn't know that it, they all thought, everybody thought that they were Kaiser. Kevin Spacey had convinced everybody that he was Kaiser, uh, Fenster was Kaiser, Keaton was Kaiser, Hockney was Kaiser, McManus was Kaiser, like everybody was Kaiser. But right. he had convinced every one of them that they were and then didn't tell anybody else about it. But were they aware that he actually knew? No. Oh, okay. So he was just like your buddy that comes up to you and says, oh, man, no, think about it. Look at it like this. Basically, yeah. Instead of being like, oh, hey, man, no, I talked to the director. I know it's you. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so he had people genuinely convinced about it, which I think was funny. That's pretty interesting. There's a lot of... There's a lot of interesting elements to this movie, but I think that the foreshadowing is done good. But I can see how people have an issue with it when it comes down to the loose story, as you so elegantly put it. I mean, that's how it feels. Does it, though? Yeah. Why? Because the the plot isn't... It's intentionally vague in spots, and you get in, intentionally incorrect stories that... Like I said earlier, the detective proves isn't real. Like, the detective is like, well, no, this couldn't have happened. Here's why. And because of that, it just makes it to where it's less impactful. Because there are clear holes in it. The detective can see the holes. And we can't fully see them, but that's because we're intentionally given it a limited perspective. Which is good, because if we were given a broader perspective, the twist wouldn't work. So I see why they did it. I just feel like there wasn't enough details in the story that were concrete enough, based enough in reality. Because Kaiser Sose's origin story, for instance, where he shot his wife and daughter because they were they had been kidnapped, and he was like, "Oh, I don't want you to live after this." Right, you're useless to me. Yeah, that doesn't seem based in reality. Like, it sounds bullshit. A lot of it sounds bullshit. And the detective also thinks it sounds bullshit. And because of that, and because it's never elaborated in a way that makes it seem less like bullshit, it negatively impacts the score. But everything about Kaiser... Is bullshit. It's supposed to be bullshit. I'm aware. So it makes sense. It doesn't because the detective is clearly not convinced. He's not convinced about the stories of Kaiser because he's so laser-focused on Keaton as Kaiser. Yeah. So he doesn't care. He just wants Verbal to admit that Ke- that Keaton is Kaiser, 
Kaiser and Keaton are the same. That he manipulated and orchestrated this whole entire thing and that he was a criminal mastermind behind it all. Yeah. Which obviously is what Verbal does. But I feel like he was trying to do that anyway. Verbal? Yeah. Yo, yeah, that was his goal the whole time, but he him even talking to it was just him fucking with the officer. Right. Because Well, he had full immunity. There was no reason for him to talk. Exactly. Him talking in the first place was just him being like, Oh, hey, you're not actually smarter than me, bro. I know you think you are, but watch how I'm gonna manipulate you for the next two hours. So speaking of that, going back to when Kobayashi comes in and delivers the briefcase. Which, fun fact about the briefcase, when um, Keaton is pulling them out and handing the envelopes to people, the order that he hands them is the order that they all die. Ironically enough, so Verbal's the last one to get it because he doesn't die. Well, he everyone dies eventually. I he mean, doesn't die in the movie. He doesn't <laughs> die in the movie. You knew what I meant. I did. But Finster's the first one to get it and... All of that, I thought that was kind of cool. But when he when he comes in and starts talking to him and explaining why everybody was there, because they all did something to in, uh, unintentionally fuck Kaiser Sose. What he describes verbal doing is conning a, what was it? An intelligent man was conned by a lesser intelligent person out of $60,000. Um, is like the way that he phrases it something like that he's like you're dumb and one of our smartest guys got conned by you out of $60,000 do you think that he threw that story in just to fuck with the officer to kind of like foreshadow hey remember when you said you were smarter than me I could definitely see that I don't I don't know for sure if that's why it was thrown in or if it was just no that's probably it that's probably why that makes a lot of sense because his origin story or his origin to there doesn't make sense, right? Like the everybody else did something and he was like, oh yeah, I'm a con man, so 60000 But again, why were they actually there? We don't know. It could just be that they were all thrown in county jail. Although Keaton does seem to kind of know who he is in a way. Like, because at the opening when he goes... Kaiser Sose, it was kind of this, I didn't know who you were, but now I do, and I feel stupid. Like I got manipulated that whole time. It's like, oh, okay. Keaton's character? Yeah, Keaton. No, I think that I think that at the end of the movie or the beginning of the movie, depending on how you look at it, he was very aware of what was happening. Well, no, he was aware that that was Kaiser, but he had been duped the entire time because i think that he was still if you follow the way the movie is then he was duped and it kind of seems like that part was true that he kept his identity quiet for that reason because he seems genuinely surprised like i think the first part of the movie did actually happen that way i think that the trench coat and everything that he was wearing probably wasn't a thing but I do believe that he pretended to be verbal Kent the entire time. I think that part of the story was probably true. Because he is trying to he is trying to gain their trust and he doesn't want people to know because obviously he's gonna kill a dude for what was it, ninety one million dollars? Is how much they were trading the Hungarians were trading that guy for? Yeah, I think so. Which if you if you know Hungarian when he says that, what he's actually saying 
is the word for person, but it's translated as like drugs. You're, so you're talking about the survivor that was in the hospital. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. The the Hungarian survivor, like the only one, when he's talking about it, he's literally saying that they they were there to take a guy that knows Kaiser Sosek has seen his face and that they were going to buy him. But the dude, the doctor or whatever that they have come in through translator is not Hungarian. So he doesn't completely understand the language and misinterprets it as drugs. And yeah, that's drugs why drugs and people are basically the same thing, bro. They definitely are not, <laughs> but that's why they go on the drug thing because there was $91 million. And it's like, well, where did all the drugs go? Drugs are never there. Wasn't about the drugs. Yeah, it was a person. But uh, Kuyan says in the beginning that it was either a hit or drugs, one of the two. So where are the drugs and who orchestrated it? Which I thought was kind of funny for uh, foreshadowing purposes because he says it before he ever meets Verbal. Although looking back on it, it was very smart of him to be like, "I'm not going in an interrogation room because he couldn't piece together a story." Well, so it's also good that Verbal was in the captain's office rather than the detective's office because had he been in the detective's office, it would have been easier for the detective to be like, oh, you're mentioning places I've been. So the fact that he was in the police headquarters captain's office and it was like an FBI dude interrogating him also played into that plot point of him being able to pull all of the information behind him. And I think at the same time, even if he had been doing it to the captain, I don't think the captain would have been able to tell because of how disorganized he is. Like, looking at his area that he works at, looking at the board behind him, I I don't think that he would have been able to be like, oh, you're pulling out shit from behind me. I mean, maybe not, but it would be a higher likelihood, especially when he starts talking about Spokane, Washington and stuff. Because that's a location... directly pulled from the newspapers behind him well it's from it's from where the board was made spokane illinois well is it spokane illinois i don't know why i said washington is that a real town is there a spokane washington yeah the the story behind that goes uh whenever brian singer was writing or mcquarrie was writing it christopher mcquarrie christopher mcquarrie he he had everything placed on a bulletin board that was made in Spokane, Illinois, and that was the same bulletin board that he had used. So that's where that came from. Like it is a it is a real place. Well, I mean, I knew it was a real place. Like there, because it's this appears to be based in reality. Yeah, it's snapping back to reality. Because oops, there goes gravity. Well, no, it's not an Eminem song, bud. Oh, it's not. No. <laughs> no, it's a movie. I forgot who it was, um, Ghostface Killer. I think it was a rapper that sampled lines from this. I have no idea. Uh, he sampled the the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he wasn't real, which was actually a French poet that said that, so it wasn't even from this movie. But this movie probably popularized it. Oh, 100%. Especially for Western audiences. Well, this movie is why we get the term, like the urban dictionary term of Kaiser Sose to mean like a mysterious person who's able to evade people is because of this movie. Which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Pop culture references. Good old pop culture. Even though this came out the same year as Seven? It did. Which one do you think was better? Seven. Usual suspects, yeah. 
No, I think I think seven was better. Usual suspects. I I agree. What's in the box? Give me the keys. You fucking yeah, no. What's in they're... the box is better. I think they're both pretty iconic. No, they are very iconic. Oh, so fun fact: there was a a whole entire thing where Keaton was supposed to plant the bomb before they got on the ship. They ended up cutting it out, but when Keaton asks what time it is, that was directly related to trying to figure out when the bomb was going to go off. So I mean, wasn't there a bomb? No. Because it explodes because of the gasoline. That makes sense. Because it gets shot? Yeah. The the gas spills everywhere and it's all over the boat and then well, Keaton I mean, tries to do it. It shows... I can't remember which one. It shows one of the dudes putting holes in the gas tanks on the boat. Oh, yeah. That was... um, Was that McManus? I think it was McManus, but I'm not 100% confident at this current juncture. Well, they, there were like 27 people dead. Yeah. So you kind of want to burn the evidence. And I think the main intended... The main intended target was obviously the one dude who was the FBI rat. Yeah. But if you have a bunch of Hungarian people that are there floating in the river too, you kind of want them to not survive. So if anybody was missed for whatever reason, now they explode, which is kind of cool, kind of not cool. I mean, I think another motivation for completely destroying the boat was they were supposed to destroy the drugs on the boat. And at that point, a lot of them were still under the impression there were drugs. Even though they searched the building or the whole ship up and down and couldn't find the drugs because well, there are no drugs that's when keaton realized he'd been betrayed right was when he couldn't find the drugs and he's like oh there are no fucking drugs here yeah kaiser sent us here to kill a guy yeah which happened yeah successfully although i really don't think that it had anything to do with drugs i think that he threw the drugs in there because that's what the police thought i think the way that it actually happened was he had told him that there was going to be like $91 million on board because there was this guy. They need to take out the guy or whatever, but they can just take the money. Take everybody out and then just take the money and leave. There's going to be $91 million there. It'll be a good payday for you. You just need to kill everybody. When there's one guy that was the main target, but not telling them why. Because I think Kaiser's, Kaiser's smart. But do you think that he's like the Dread Pirate Roberts? The Dread Pirate Roberts? Yeah, from uh, The Princess Bride. I'm not familiar. Where the person before me was the Dread Pirate Roberts, and the person before him was the Dread Pirate Roberts. Oh, kind of like the Gray Fox in mm. The Elder Scrolls? Yes. Do you want me to elaborate on that? I don't know how familiar our listeners are. No, they're probably not that familiar, but go ahead. Elaborate on it. So... Basically, what the Gray Fox is, is it's this master thief who has a special cowl that makes him the Gray Fox. So as long as he has it on, he is the Gray Fox. Everyone knows who he is, but when he takes it off, he's just regular old Joe, Joe Smo Blow. You know what I'm saying? But anyone can assume the mantle, like whoever puts on the cowl becomes the Gray Fox. So it's kind of like that. Yeah, whenever the Dread Pirate Robert dies, he hands over the name to somebody else and the the legend of the Dread Pirate Roberts lives on. So you think this is the same with Kaiser? That wouldn't surprise me, especially because of all the clearly tall tales surrounding him. 
So now my question is, do you think that Verbal Kent was a real guy? Roger Kent was real? Because I, they have they have like a background on him. I think that Roger Kent might have been who he was before he assumed the Kaiser Soze mantle. So he was just this con man. I think so. But it would make sense. Because a con man could pull off the biggest trick in the entire world. He could con millions of people. Yeah. Could he not? I mean, we, yeah. No, he definitely could. He'd that checks the, out. Yeah, he'd be like the perfect person. Unless he started the whole thing. <laughs> that would make sense. See, these are the questions I have. The questions that haunt me at night. Do they haunt you? They do. I go, who is Kaiser Sose? What was Kaiser Sose's intent? Oh, also, fun fact, the guy that they selected for the role to play Kaiser in the flashbacks, actual Hungarian people really have a problem with men with long hair. So that wouldn't have been a thing. Really? Yeah, like, they have a huge problem with it. But they chose him because he couldn't, like, straighten his elbows or some shit, I think is what it was. So that's why he got to do it. But yeah, the long hair thing, if they were actually following it, it would not have happened at all. Because hmm. they don't like it because it's feminine. They become more accepting of it, but only when it's like in ponytails and put up and shit. But yeah. Interesting. It is an interesting concept. See, in my mind, which this is totally off subject, but in my mind, having your hair up in a ponytail is slightly more feminine than just having it like free-flowing hey man different cultures do different things oh yeah and i'm not knocking it like i think that i think that you should be able to do whatever you want with your hair well yeah you have long hair i know long beautiful hair uh beautiful is not the word i would use but sure you got to tell the audience how pretty it is when we start doing live videos they'll be able to see how ugly it is you're really hurting my feelings bro i'm sorry <laughs> you're gonna cry about it I, I as soon as we're done recording i'm gonna cry oh you're gonna cry okay That'll be fine. Oh, did I hurt your feelings? Yeah, very insulting. Much, much mean. Speaking of insulting, I do want to backtrack on something that I said earlier in the podcast. Of course you do. What's up, dog? So I said that you couldn't really tell if Keaton was a bad guy or not. Yeah. And you couldn't tell if Verbal's account or the cop's account of him was correct. And I think that the detective's correct and the reason i think that is because when they're released the conversation he has with his girlfriend l i think is her name i believe so when she's like trying to talk to him and he's looking around like hyper fixating on it's never going to end and she's like i love you and he ignores her and then she just keeps saying it, and he's like looking around, just saying it'll never end. This is never going to end. It's it is absolutely horrible. And then finally, he just like looks at her, and he never he never says that he just like embraces her, but never says I love you or acknowledges that she said anything at all. So to me, I think that he's probably a shitty person because of that one, because I don't think he actually cared about her in that way. I think that it was just a tale that was spun. You don't think he. So you don't think their relationship was real at all? No. I think that Keaton was probably still a piece of shit, and I don't think that he changed for her. So I agree that Keaton was still a piece of shit, and I don't think he changed for her, but I do believe that she was real and they were actually in a relationship, even if in her mind 
it was a lot more romantic than it actually was. Okay, yeah, I believe that. It just wasn't like a real relationship, though, because he was using her. Dog, so listen, pause. What is real? Because if if someone, if you're dating someone, and this is purely hypothetical, but if you're dating someone and they care about you a whole lot and you only care about them a very, very little bit, it's still a real relationship. No, it's not. One person's just shitty. No, it's not a real relationship. No, it definitely is. There are so many real one-sided relationships. Like most parental relationships are one-sided until your children are old enough to function properly. No, that's different. Is it? Yeah, that's different because it's talking about children. Children don't understand those concepts. Two adults do, though. Keaton understood what he was doing. She did not. No, she definitely understood. She just didn't care because Keaton's got that good diak. (laughs) All right, Paul Rudd, calm down. I'm just saying, bro. Like, to me, it's still a real relationship in my mind. Even if they aren't mutually filling for each other. I think that it was a tale that he was trying to spin. But I don't believe that it was an actual, authentic, real relationship. I think that whenever, uh, who was it, McManus was talking and asking how much the, uh, like how much money she was giving him and all that. And he got pissed off and was like, Fencer, you need to tell your, uh, your boy to back off. I think that that struck a nerve with him for the simple fact that it was true. That checks out. I mean, that no, so that could be real, but that doesn't take away from the fact that they were actually together. Well, yeah, no. They were not together. They were living together. That's dating, bro. That's not dating. It is if they if, if she thinks they're dating, then they're dating. In her eyes, yes, but in his eyes, no. In his eyes, it was a given it was not a give and take relation or it was a give and take relationship she's giving everything and he's taking it all are you okay you look you're gonna die yeah no i just had like some like i had like a hiccup or a burp or something but it caught caught in my chest oh you had a fart no because it was in my lungs not my like stomach or intestines or any of that it's only a fart when it starts going down otherwise it's a burp i mean i got it didn't come out so i don't even know if it was a burp it just felt like there was a pop in my chest and then I felt pain. Oh, so you're dying. No, I feel fine now. Like, there's still a pain, but it's not sharp and intense anymore. It's just mildly there. We need to call somebody? No. Because you're a usual suspect? No. Am I? No, I don't think so. So do you have anything else? Um, Not specifically for this movie. It there were a great. couple cool scenes. What was your favorite scene? My favorite scene was probably was probably when uh, Redwood flicked the cigarette. Just hits him in the face. Yeah, just because I know that it wasn't supposed to hit him in the face, and I know his reaction was real. And to me, that makes it such a better scene. I still think my my favorite scene is probably the lineup scene. That's fair. I mean, that's the funniest scene by far. And then you know, Fenster being Fenster. I think every scene that he's in, he probably steals the show. And, you know, you take him, you fib him. You what? You fib him. The moment. Fenster's funny. I agree. Hard, hard agree. But with that being said, do you want to get into the Taylor talk today? Yeah, what's the talk of Taylor's today, Taylor? To so I'm going to change things up a little bit. Okay. We're going to talk about upcoming films. Bro, I feel like we did this like four months ago. 
Well, yeah, we can reuse it. It's been four months. People have forgot about it. Well, and there are new movies coming out that I'm interested in and excited for. And technically, we can make this a segment and do it every week. I don't think we should do it every week because not every week are there upcoming movies I'm excited for that weren't the upcoming movies I was previously excited for the week before. You going to do it once a month? Yeah, we could do it once a month. I think that'd be super hardcore. All right, so the upcoming movies or movies that are currently in theaters that I would like to see are as follows. Evil Dead Rise. Okay. I want to see that too. Which I did see. Yeah, without me because you're a fucking asshole. Continue. Um, I'm sorry Gina wanted to see it, so I took her. <laughs> um, I still have yet to go see John Wick Chapter 4. You were very, very adamant about going to see that immediately. I know. And then Gina entered the picture. Blame everything on her. That's a powerful technique. It is a powerful technique. No, uh, I was going to do it, but then I had a date with her, and I was like, eh, I'll uh, I'll watch it later. And as you can tell how that happened. But I'll buy it when it comes out on DVD. Like, I know it's great. It's or you could like, go watch it still. There's still time. It's it's towards the end. You could go watch it tonight. Technically, yes. I do want to see uh, Bo is Afraid, the Joaquin Phoenix Ari Aster movie. Me too. I haven't looked much into it, but I like Ari Aster, and I like Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, didn't Ari Aster do Requiem for a Dream? Sure. No, he did Hereditary and and Midsommar. Oh, who did Requiem for a Dream? Not Ari Aster. If you don't get that joke, then you have not listened to, to those episodes. Yeah, there was a point in time where Taylor was making a long, drawn-out joke. It was very elaborate. It was over multiple episodes where he pretended he didn't know who Ari Aster was. And it could potentially be quite embarrassing for him if people weren't aware that he was joking. Oh, there have been people that have asked me about it. Oh, I know. You were one of them. Oh, I know. But no, Bo is Afraid is it's a comedy drama horror. And the plot is, following the sudden death of his mother, a mild-mannered but anxiety-ridden man confronts his darkest fears as he embarks on an epic, cannot-pronounce-that odyssey back home. You, you want to see it? I, wa- I want to see the word that you can't pronounce. Kukovsky? Kukovsk? Kukovsk? See? You were like, I'm going to show him up. Uh, I really thought I was, but then I realized it was a complicated word that I'm not super familiar with. Thank you. Actually, I don't think it's a complicated word. I think it's someone's name with esque at the end, indicating that it's like them, but I don't know the person that it's about, so I don't know how to pronounce the name. Which is fair. Yeah. But no, that I think that'll be really good. So the whole reason I want to see that is because there was an article where Joaquin Phoenix came out because somebody, I guess, on like Reddit or whatever got an entire group of people to be like it would be awesome to watch this on acid and it was so bad that Joaquin Phoenix had to like comment on it and come out and make a public statement saying do not watch this movie on acid that is a horrible idea please do not do that interesting so I'm like well if he comes out and says that it's probably fucked up and knowing Ari Aster and the way that he works probably fucked up Oh, for sure. So I think I think seeing it on acid would be a horrible idea. I don't know. I'm not familiar with acid really, but I know a lot about I know a lot about like being defiant in general. So if I was told not to do something like that, that would probably be one of my major goals in life. 
oh yeah if i was told not to go see this on acid i would go see it on acid yeah. i'm not because we might do it for the podcast and i don't want to do drugs yeah exactly that would might negatively impact our ability to podcast efficiently oh 100 percent would the other one that i'm a little skeptical on is uh renfield with uh nicholas cage oh i know Renfield, Dracula's henchman and inmate at the lunatic asylum for decades, longs for a life away from the Count, his various demands, and all the bloodshed that comes with them. I don't know. So I'm also excited for an upcoming uh, vampire movie, but it's Nosferatu. I think that one will be infinitely better. Well, it's got Willem Dafoe. Right. Not saying Nick Cage is bad, but I am. Willem Dafoe is infinitely better. See, no, I like Nick Cage a lot, especially his recent horror stuff. You know what I'm talking about? No. So I, so he was in like the color purple. That's not what it's called. Not the color purple. Uh, something from Deep Space. He's been in a couple like Lovecraftian horror movies recently. Okay. And they were actually pretty good interesting because the thing about nick cage is while he is not for everyone he has a unique acting style that i personally like in a lot of things okay color out of space i've is not the, heard is, of that one it's a it's a movie that nick cage is in it's really good okay like anyone who's listening if you haven't seen color out of space it's it's a bailey recommendation to you oh there's a bailey recommendation i, I mean i'm just tossing it on there on the list you know, we can start doing that. Like, what movie would you recommend per week? That'd be a good idea. I mean, I'm not... Necess- yeah, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, but I recommend... If you haven't seen Color Out of Space with Nick Cage, there's no reason not to watch it. It's pretty good. That's a Bailey recommendation. What do you got, Taylor? Super Mario Bros. <sighs> I haven't seen it yet. I haven't either, but I kind of want to. I want to see it. Even though they did my boy Mario's booty dirty. <laughs> Yes. I mean, You've seen a... how voluptuous it was in the N64 burst? Oh, I know. And I now know. they got this flat-ass booty motherfucker. Oh, yeah. What's up with that, dog? I mean, I don't know. No, I don't know either. But that's something that I want to see. Which, ironically enough, it's been out for three weeks, and it has grossed $436 million. That's pretty impressive. Evil Dead Rise has been out for one week and grossed $24.5 million. Yeah. It's a horror movie and the other is a family-friendly movie. Of course, the family-friendly movie is going to gross exponentially more. Oh, yeah. I was not excited about Dungeons & Dragons Honor Amongst Thieves. I wanted to see it and I was supposed to with my D&D group, but we had someone bitch out and because of that, none of us went to see it, which is super unfortunate. That is a little unfortunate. No, I think super unfortunate is the proper way to describe that event, sir. Uh, why is that? Because if it was just a little unfortunate, I wouldn't still be sad. <laughs> You're still sad about <laughs> it? Okay. Uh, no, I'm just playing. And then Maxine was the other one that you were excited about? Yeah, I'm pretty excited about Maxine too, but that's just because Pearl and X were so fucking good to me. I just want to see it. I want to see it so bad. I do too. I really enjoyed both of those movies so that we've done the other two on the podcast. So when Maxine comes out, we will do a spoiler free. First day in theaters, we're going to see it. Yeah, that's fair. Or maybe not first day if it releases on like a Friday or a Saturday. We saw the other two in theaters, didn't we? We did. 
So yeah, we have to see this one in theaters. Yeah, we do. Actually, I don't think we saw X in theaters. Or no, we did. We, we did. just didn't do it for the podcast immediately after. We waited like six months and then watched it again and did it. Yeah, that's what it was. But then we did Pearl because that was the upcoming release and we liked it. Pearl was so good too. That was that was really, really good. But yeah, I think that doing that would be fun. Going out and seeing that one. Yeah, Maxine will be cool. I'm excited. So speaking of that, what is the movie that we're doing next week? Are we announcing it here? Yeah, we have to. So that way our listeners at home can watch it before it releases and then be like, oh, that's really good. Oh, uh, District Number 9. District 9. Oh, just District 9? I think it's District 9. I think District Number 9 is a bar in Tulsa. District 9. Yeah. And then I think District 12 is the Hunger Games. I think it's one of the districts in the Hunger Games that Katniss comes from. And this is not the Hunger Games District 9? No, this is Aliens and shit, bro. Yeah, this is like found footage alien reporter. Is it found footage? I want to say it's like shot like found footage. See, I haven't seen this movie probably in 10 years, 11 years maybe. I was in high school the last time I watched this movie. Yeah, we were in high school, I believe, the last time I watched this movie too. But it's, I remember it being really, really good. I remember enjoying it, but I can't say that I remember it being really good because I don't really remember it other than it was about aliens and shit. So this will be a refresher for Bailey too. Yeah. Yeah. With that being said, that's a podcast. This has been two of like my Mario voice when I did that. I did, but it's a little culturally insensitive, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that's a podcast. Thank you, sir. But speaking of culturally insensitive, if you wanna if you wanna belittle Taylor for for that, feel free to shoot us an email at two idiots one podcast twenty twenty two at gmail dot com. Or leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify. Is there anything else? Are there any other reviewable platforms? If there's a reviewable platform that you see us on, toss us a review if you feel like it. If you don't, that's totally cool. Whatever you want to do is totally fine. Yeah. We will support you no matter what. Yeah, just do what feels good. And this has been Bailey. And this has been Taylor. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.